0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Happy Thursday, everybody. It's Fee here, back with another re-release for you. And this week, we are going back to our episode on sports science, where we sat down with Romy. Romy works very closely in the sports science space, which is a really new developing area within uh, racing. So she takes us through how she collects the data, how she analyzes it and sports data's place within the racing industry because we are just scratching the surface with the stuff at the moment and it's going to be really interesting to see how the industry looks in another five, ten years and how well adopted this technology will be. So another really good re-release for you today. And we'll be back again next week with another one. But as always, make sure you have subscribed or followed the podcast wherever you listen and rate and review for us because that helps other people find our racing podcast. Enjoy guys.
1: This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings and now with their Pink Bonus Series there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership.
0: That's right Grace with the bonus prize money up for grabs the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media.
1: Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. My name is Fiona Blair, and with me today is Grace Ramage.
1: Hi, Fee, and hello everybody listening in. Great to be back with another episode on Ladies Who Punt. Uh, we've got a really interesting topic that we're going to decode today with a, a special guest. And also we're looking ahead to Group One Racing at Flemington. It is the Turnbull Stakes. Uh, which is a 2,000-metre contest, Group 1 level, uh, lots of other good racing on the day as well. But I tell you what, Fee, there's been... That much rain and wild weather um, here in Victoria also really hitting you know, the east coast of New South Wales is causing absolute havoc for from a racing perspective and for the trainers and connections of horses because we've got like 40 mils hit Bendigo and we're supposed to be racing there in three days and it's still all up in the air at the moment. The weather is really grinding my gears.
0: Yeah, it's been a very difficult week for anyone in the training game. I think Mm. we've had two meetings so far abandoned just this week. And we're back on synthetic racing, which is pretty unprecedented for this time of year. They normally shut the synthetic once it's spring, but nope they're back open because
1: yeah. there's no dry track which is at least a blessing so if you do pay attention to you know midweek racing over the next few weeks don't be surprised to see that we are racing on the Ballarat or the or the Packenham synthetic because it's a it's a real benefit that we've got those tracks so that when we do have crazy weather patterns hitting us we can actually have a plan b and everybody can still you know get those runs into their horses when they're up and ready to go
0: yep that's right grace and the weather even got to us on our race day meet up last Friday night, there was a little bit of rain around, but we actually managed to score all of our attendees' members' tickets for the night, so we were lovely, it's snug and warm inside.
1: We were, it was such a good night, wasn't it? I mean, it was a great night of racing, Um, like the atmosphere at the Valley on Friday nights, and there was actually a huge crowd there. We watched horses parade in the Mounting Yard. We were up in the grandstand. It's just such a great vibe on those Friday night meetings. So we had so much fun.
0: Yep. And good friend of the podcast, Alison Murphy, took out the tipping comp. She managed to get in with a very low score of 13, but it was very close this time. We had scores of 14, 16, so everyone was uh, in good form in terms of their picking, which was really cool to see.
1: I stopped um, actually recording mine after two races, (laughs) so yep, that's where I'm at.
0: So thank you to everyone who came out. Another special mention actually should be to Cherry, who came to our event for her first ever race meeting. Mm She's never
1: been before. Mm -hmm. Amazing, isn't it? So
0: good. It was great to have her there and everyone else as well. So this week we have another feature episode all about performance and data analysis and track work. We have a special guest called Romy sitting down with us to talk to us about everything sports science and horse racing.
1: Yeah, so Romy Borian is from France and she's been in Australia now for a little while and she um, is really applying her trade and her skill set, which is a fascinating element within the racing industry and something that is only just sort of come on the scene and is growing. So obviously, Fee, um, we've spoken a lot about form analysis. I mean, that is a type of analytical data crunching, I suppose. But instead of um, you know necessarily sectional times, that's a big part of it. But you're still looking at all these other factors when you're doing your form analysis um, to assess whether a horse can be winning a race or not. When it comes to the data tracking and analysis within track work, that's an even more specific area uh, within the whole scheme of things. But it is a really interesting one because it can tell you so much. And I really think that what we're going to find out with Romy is sort of the way of the future. There's so much more to come in this space and it's super exciting.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we're really just seeing the start of a very big change within training here in Australia and then probably worldwide. Mm -hmm. Last thing to note before we get into that interview is that we've had a very good week in the downloads for Ladies Who Punt and we would just like to say thank you so much to everyone who is getting behind this podcast. I'm assuming a few people are catching up on episodes as they're joining in a bit later, but please keep sharing and subscribing, reviewing us as well, that really helps. And yeah, thank you so much for the support guys, it means so much. So we'll get into that interview now and after our interview with Romy, we will be doing our Turnbull Stakes preview as well. So this week our special guest is Romy Borian. Welcome Romy, thank you so much for joining us today. So you have a really interesting role in the industry. You are a performance and data analyst. Can you explain to us quickly what
2: that is? So data and performance, analyst. so when you say performance, you mean sport performance. And what that is, is sort of looking at all the things related to training of an athlete. So when it comes to the horse, it might be its fitness level, its nutrition, its genetics, um, it includes a lot of things. And the data part is, I guess, collecting all that information on maybe a larger scale and sort of um, getting analysis from that. Sports science, as you know, is something that is well established in human sports. For example, you'll have a coach that will most of the time have a master's degree in um sports science or human science, physiology, or um, those kind of backgrounds. Um, And um, as a result, you've seen the performance of human athletes increase a lot during the last, you know, 50, 100 years. Um, Racing is a bit different and has been driven, I think, by different things, maybe more... um, Money and betting, and I think we're seeing now this new wave of um, sports science coming in because um, there's only there's only so much you can do with genetics. So you can you know select your horses through breeding to make them better and better, but there's only there's only that much you can do. And the other part of it is those horses are athletes, so you want to apply sports science to um, the equine world and. Um, so really, it's very similar to human sports science, except applied to the horses. So you will try to make them uh, stronger. You will look at their muscles, you will look at their fitness, you look at their genetic, you look at their nutrition, and all those little parameters you sort of try to play with to make the athlete better, really.
1: It's a really interesting one, actually, because, you know, if you think about other sports and like, let's think of swimmers, for example, um, you know, every time they go and perform at you know world championships or just any sort of competition, they're generally going out and sort of meeting their their personal best or or taking it to the next level and like breaking their personal best every single time. Like that's just the way that they continue to improve. That's what their coaches are there for, to continue to improve at a really fast rate. That's really not applied to racing at all at the moment. Do you see that it could ever potentially get there where like you're literally drilling into, um, you know, all of the data perspectives when it comes to performance of a horse to be able to continue to see the improvement?
2: Um, yeah, 100% you're right. You see it much less in race horses, but you see occasionally some of them, like Nature Strip is a great example mm-hmm. because he's an older horse and he's only reaching the peak of his career, I think, now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, um, well, like seven or um, eight years old. Like, And that's something that people always think horses reach their potential when they're three-year-old, but really that's not true, like on a physical point of view. Um, your horse will not reach his full potential until he's six or seven years old, at least. So, I think that's one of the main reasons in humans you, throughout your career, manage your um, your yeah your sports career a bit better because you have so many people around you that um, help you prevent injuries. Um, And hopefully that's the thing that sports science in horses will help with. And you'll be able to keep your horses in training longer, um, manage their um, sports career better, and then hopefully um, increase performance every time they come back. Let's
0: go on to the data analysis now. So in a previous episode, we spoke with a track work rider and she told us about how important it is for work riders to give feedback to the trainers about how their horse is feeling, how they're handling their work, their temperament, things like that. I guess the trackers that you put on during track work and on the treadmill are another form of feedback that we can give the trainers. Can you explain to us what kind of data the trackers you use Are actually recording?
2: Yes so there is a lot of parameters recorded by those trackers but to make it simple there is um, mainly um, the heart rate recovery so the heart rate throughout the whole work then there will be um, a GPS inside the trackers which will give you the times and then there will be locomotion parameters that you can you can look at as well. So those are the main three things that I will look at. And um, these things don't lie; <laughs> they're not subjective. They are like the data will tell you the data will be one thing, and then um, how do you interpret this is where you know the writer's opinion might come in handy because you know you might be um, hearing the writer say, "Oh, he was." very stressed because something happened on the track and then that will explain maybe a poor recovery or he'll be saying "Oh, I didn't feel him so good on this type of ground and then the data will back that up and say yeah the stride length was shorter he probably did not handle the heavy ground or the opposite you will maybe have a jockey that's never sat on the horse before and that will um, as a first impression, say, oh, this horse action is a bit short, but then you have all that data before that tells you that's actually the horse. He's just always like that. And that's his stride. So that's normal. Don't be alarmed about what, you know. Um, So all the the subjective things are definitely 100% useful and you want them to be backed by the data and to sort of combine. Um, The same way as you know, if the horse is um, not feeling 100%, maybe the foreman will have to tell you, oh, he didn't eat this morning. Um, all these things, they come in um, and are complementary because, you know, it's the same as you. If you haven't ate in two days, then you will have a poor recovery if you go and do a hard effort. And that's something you might not know. That's not going to be written on the data you see on your computer, but that is an element you have to take into account when you look at the the data. So that's sort of all the things um, you look at. Then you look at, um, yeah, mostly the heart rate recovery, the time the horse has done and is his action similar to what it is usually or not. And then depending on that, you might compare it to, you know, it's other training that was similar. um, See if there's any progression or not and um, sort of make your analysis.
0: So now you've recorded all of this data from the track work, the heart rate, the locomotion, and the speeds. When you are analysing this data, is there ideal data that you like to see, like ideal data points? Or are you really looking for trends within a horse's personal data across their preparation?
2: Well, I'd say it depends on what horse you're looking at and where they're at in their prep. If you're looking at a two-year-old, you want to see progression. You want to see, you want to make sure they don't overtrain themselves because sometimes they they tend to sort of go a bit harder on themselves. And then on all the horses, you um, sort of want to pinpoint a key training that will help you know what the horse's good fitness is like. So maybe that will be a last scout before a win. And then you sort of strive to replicate that level of fitness and then maybe go past it. And I would say a good horse <laughs> usually has speed. There's are still racehorses, so we need speed. Um, they have speed, but not just the top speed that is really good. They need to be able to um, maintain that speed for, I would say, in a training at least 600 meter. Um and then I would say um, the recovery is one of the most important because a good cardiovascular system is indeniably <laughs> necessary for a good horse. And then I would say as well um, a locomotion that is good for that type of horse. So it can be a very big stride length or a very fast stride frequency, something that allows the horse to be sort of out of the ordinary. But also, yeah, progression. You want to see the horse getting better and not getting worse.
0: (laughs) So talking about the locomotion, I know you've prepared some examples for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you take us through the examples of those good horses that you have stats on in terms of their locomotion?
2: Yes. So um, two examples of two amazing fillies um, are obviously Black Caviar and Wings, which were both um, racing over different distances, but also at very different locomotion. So Wings, as you might have seen during her races, you can see the way she moves. She has a very, very high stride frequency, which is the number of strides taken um, per meter. So I think she she at full speed would reach 2.7 stride per second. So it's A lot. I've never seen it Um, on the data that I've collected over the last few years. I've never seen 2.7 at full speed in a horse. Um, The maximum I've seen, I think, was um, Bella Nipotina, um, which is obviously a very good sprinter. Um, She was, I think, 2.68 or something like that. Mm, Um, But also Wings was not a very small field like Bella can be. So obviously those exceptional horses, they have exceptional abilities and... Um, usually, a, such a fast stride frequency you'd see on a small, leather horse that will also have a s- short stride length. Whereas, obviously, Wings didn't. <laughs> she had a big one as well. Um, and then Black Caviar was sort of the opposite. She had a massive stride. I've never met her, but I think she was a pretty big filly. Um, so, on a, it was, it's sort of the opposite in the locomotion. Usually, if the stride length is bigger, the stride frequency is. Um, slower and vice versa so black caviar had a very very big stride i think full speed she was around 8.5 meters which i've seen bigger (laughs) on horses but um she probably also had a high enough stride frequency to uh, match it and also probably a great recovery and also an amazing speed probably i didn't have all the data on her so i don't know but
0: so one stride in black caviar would cover eight meters. She, that's how far she
1: would get off one stride. Yeah, point 8.
2: Wow. 8, 8. four or five. eight think she was.
1: So now that you've run through a couple of really good examples of the elite sort of horses, but just in general and what you've described to us, how does that help um, you know trainers and a stable? understand their horses better and then get the most out of their horses like what your feedback provides how how does it assist them
2: I think um, the most benefit that the trainer will get from that is the ability with that data to individualize training for the horses and um, in my opinion I think it's the only way (laughs) to um get your horses each and every one of them to reach their maximum potential because um same way as a human coach he will tell you like oh what is your weight what is your size how do you what do you eat Uh, what do you do on an everyday base and okay what sort of distance do you want to go for in your races and then depending on all this will make a you know, training program specific for each individual. And I think in racing, um, obviously with the number of horses that are in a stable, it's sometimes a little bit hard to do that. Um, and we tend to see, um, you know, one fits all and sort of all the horses doing the same thing from, you know, the beginning of their prep till their race day. And also <laughs> they are all, um, will be racing at different distances and, Um, some will need you know two weeks extra or less and that data I think can help um, really tailoring the program um, to the needs of the horse so you will see that um, at the same number of days into a training program two horses can gallop together maybe and two sprinters um, same age probably same size and one of them will handle it the other one not so much, so then you know, oh, well, that one, we might need an extra week, Um, he's not ready yet. You know, maybe finding out the strengths and weakness of the horses a bit more specifically and then being able to really look into this and work that particular thing to make your horse better.
0: So, Romy, horses can't talk to us, they can't tell us, you know, what's going on with them, how they're going with their training, whether they're handling it or not, and... Trainers to be able to train their horses successfully, it's really important that they're able to read their horses, their body language, their mood, how they're handling their work. And that requires trainers to be very good horse people, to understand how horses tick and behave. So much of managing these horses is understanding these unmeasurable parameters. And I think that's a big part of the romance behind the sport. It's like the connection between horse and human working together for excellence. The data analysis is obviously a much more scientific approach to training. Do you think that these two approaches, the more intuitive approach, the more romantic approach, and the more scientific approach, can they work together? Can they complement each other? Or do you think they're at odds with one another? Will we lose the romance if we have too much of the data?
2: That's a very good question. And I will say that um not only they can be together but they need to be together they cannot live one without the other you might see great data and the horse is going well seemingly but then the rider that's been riding that horse forever is telling you it's not happy and it's not something you can say you know like a horse didn't tell him i'm not happy (laughs) but (laughs) it's like a feeling you'll get when you're when you ride you, you know you know how that is, or the trainer might see the horse walking by and and because he knows his horse so well, he'll be like, "Something's not right with this horse." Or especially, I feel like in two years old that are coming in training for the first time, it's so important for them to be right in their body, but also to be right in the head. Um, and I've seen so many um, two years old that just needed to go to the paddock, just had enough, and maybe their data was fine like actually most of the time the data were fine (laughs) but you you write them or you see them being written and you're like they're just they're just getting too stressed too overwhelmed they they need a break they just need to go and that's the role of the trainer as well to recognize those things that the data will not tell you uh, or not always yeah i think they really need to be working (laughs) together and it's like communication everything is linked everything it's just in the end, it's just one animal. So, all these information that uh, you might collect from all these um, characters around the stable are very important, each in their own way.
1: So, Romy, in my mind, I've got like this sort of picture of, you know, the old school um, traditional horse trainer, which is still very prevalent today. But then you're also sort of painting a picture to me of like a horse coach. Like someone that is literally across all of the different data points and making sure that everything is like all the boxes are being ticked and and just tracking and monitoring progression and, you know, taking things to the next level in terms of performance um, at every possible chance, which is really interesting because I've never really thought about it that way before. I want to ask you how much of this sports science and the data analysis is happening um, in training or, or in in racing at the moment and where do you think it's going to get to in the future?
2: Um, Yeah, that's an interesting question because um, I think Australia's always been on the forefront of, you know, technology. They were, um, like, always clocking, timing their horses, which is something, for example, we don't do in Europe. Um, And I think it's getting... um, It's getting cheaper as well and more accessible to get um, data because of the devices you can buy um, that you can easily put on your horses. So at the moment, I think Australia and Japan and the Middle East as well, they have been using the data a lot. I don't know to what extent they are advanced in the sense of sort of actually interpreting it and using it on um, a daily basis to like make, you know, training programs um, the way we start doing it here in Australia. I know the devices are being used in a lot of countries um, and I definitely think in the future um, it will sort of be like, um, you know, you're like a bridle (laughs) or even a pair of earmuffs it's like it'll be something you'll have in your in your stable and then you can sort of decide whether you want to use it or not but also you will have um, maybe more knowledge on how to read it and how to interpret it.
0: Romy you're very passionate about your performance and data analysis You spend a lot of time with your nose in books and scientific papers. What is it that drives your passion? And what would be your favorite piece of data to track in a horse?
2: I think my passion comes from the horse um, itself (laughs) first. They're just such an amazing athlete in every sense. Like if you think humans are good athletes just nothing compared to a horse. A horse is like literally built for sport. It has amazing cardiovascular capacities, muscle strength, speed, just everything you'd want in a human. They just they just have a better version of it. So they're just fascinating to look at um, as athletes. I like to try to find like a undiscovered gem (laughs) like you know you look at the two years old or maybe an unraised three year old and you're like wait a minute this looks really interesting we're all looking for those yeah we're
1: all trying to do that
0: you've got got a little bit more insight than most of us though
2: (laughs) I know it's it's like you're like wait 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 do we have the next wings? winks? Yes. <laughs> uh, most of the time you don't, but you <laughs> still have the hope. <laughs> so I really like, I really like that. And then I also um, love being able to see before anything happens. Like it's happened a couple of times, you know, uh, the same way as a writer I might be like, oh, this horse is not feeling so good. Let's just check it out. And then Find out something's actually wrong before you give it a good gallop or whatever. And then I like also that in the data, like have it's happened before that, you know, you see a poor recovery on a horse where everyone's like, it's going great. And then you scope it and it's got a little infection and um, in the throat and then well, just don't race it, give it another week course of, you know, treatment then he's fine. And th- that part of, of looking at a horse's training is, I think, really, really helpful for um, the welfare and just making sure those horses stay sound and um, stay good in their body, happy in what they're doing. Horses love to gallop, naturally. If you've ever been on a racehorse, you know they love it. (laughs) But um, they also are so generous that they will also go over and beyond for you, even when they're not feeling 100%. And I like that with the data, you can sort of prevent problems from happening because you'll see little signs that will tell you that the horse is not always a hundred percent
0: um going back to your bit about uncovering hidden gems <laughs> do you ever read the data on the horses and then go "Ooh, i might have a little bit on that one on saturday
2: <laughs> <laughs> i do <laughs> <laughs> of course i do i definitely do um i didn't really know about bedding uh, before um, I came to Australia. And Ladies Who Burned has actually helped me a lot, yeah. I have to say. And um, so sometimes I have, you know, information on a horse, but... I don't always have all the information on the other horses. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> so it's still difficult <laughs> because you might know one horse in the race, but you don't know all the other ones. So it gives a little advantage. I'd say that it ha- it's happened a few times that I'm like, this horse is definitely going to win. Like I know it's going to win because I know it's good and I've looked at the field and, you know, I've looked at the sectional data and stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm like confident, but... I've also been wrong a few times, obviously.
1: <laughs> well, Romy, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast, in our extra special guest talking all things sports science and performance data analysis. I think everybody listening in will have learned a whole heap about that subject. So, thank you.
2: Thank you very much to both of you for having me. Um, it's been very great pleasure and great honour.
0: I think Grace, that might be our most sciencey guest yet. That was
1: intense. That whole interview. Yeah, but it was so interesting. And when you really think about um, what Romy's saying, in terms of, I suppose what jumps out at me the most is how you can track, you know, so many specific parts of the animal, individualise exactly what's happening with them, and then apply that to get the best out of. The horse in every aspect literally every aspect of the horse's life or racing career you can you know really drill down to each individual horse and that's what is so interesting to me and I am thinking that um, a lot of other people listening in are going to think the exact same thing
0: definitely well now let's take a look at our feature race we're just previewing the one race today the Turnbull Stakes we are at Flemington on Saturday group one over 2000
1: uh, set weights and penalties race mm-hmm. for four-year-olds and up so let me set the scene a little bit. Turnbull Stakes Day at Flemington is always early October, and it is traditionally known as Moving Day throughout the Spring Racing Carnival. And what that means is that we are literally one week out from the first of the carnival starting. So after Turnbull Stakes, the following Saturday is Caulfield Guineas Day, which is the first day of the Caulfield Cup Carnival because it goes Guineas, Caulfield Cup. And then we go to Moonee Valley for the Cox Plate and the Manicado on the Friday night and then the Saturday. And then the following week is Derby Day, Melbourne Cup Day, Oaks Day. And the final day, of course, that is the Melbourne Cup Carnival. So really, we're right at the start of when things start to really be grand final time, basically, for these horses. So why Flemington Turnbull Stakes Day is called Moving Day, because if you're not running well here, you're probably not going to be measuring up throughout the remainder the high peak time of the spring racing carnival. So theoretically, everything you see on Saturday in terms of the stakes races should really stand up. You know, it's a really good pointer to some of our spring features. And also what is particularly interesting about the Turnbull Stakes, the group one over 2,000 metres, is that it's got a mix of both Cox Plate horses and and Caulfield Cup horses in it. And that's a traditional thing sort of every year. The 2,000 metres, two weeks into a Caulfield Cup or three weeks into a Cox Plate, it sort of is the perfect lead-up to both races. So um, it's going to be a fascinating race. The set weights and penalties conditions of this race makes it different to the Underwood Stakes, like we saw last Sunday, and the Cox Plate, for example, which, um, of course, are both weight-for-age races. So under the set weights and penalties you can have horses that are on the up here that are right on the minimum. So uh, we will discuss a few of those horses in just a moment's time, but it's always a really good pointer to some of the other spring features over the next few weeks.
0: Thanks so much for signposting that for us, Grace. We did our spring preview a few weeks ago now, but it's good just to take stock as to where we actually are Mm -hmm. within the spring carnival because it's going so quickly. I can't can't believe it's, you know, only five or six weeks till the Melbourne Cup and then it all starts
1: dying down again. I know. It's actually, it goes so fast, but I cannot wait. You know, you get to Melbourne Cup week and you look back and you're like, wow, that took forever. (laughs) So enjoy it because it's the next six weeks and it is as good as it gets. And um, yeah, just enjoy every moment basically.
0: Okay, well, let's take a look at the market in race seven, the Turnbull Stakes. So at the moment when we are recording, we have a $4 favourite, number 12 gold trip. Our second favourite is number two Jewess at $4.60. And from there, the betting goes into the double digits. So it's a very open field here for this Saturday. I've noticed, Grace, that a lot of horses are coming down for this
1: race from Sydney. Yep. This race makes my head hurt because we have got horses coming from everywhere uh they're all sort of meeting up here for the first time we've got horses coming off a month break we've got horses that have been running poorly on bottomless tracks like really wet tracks up in sydney We've got a favourite that's been $4.40 into $4 that's only ever had two Australian starts. His name is Gold Trip. Uh, he's from the Kiramara and David Eustace stable. Jamie Carr takes over. And he's the favourite here. But to be honest, Fee, his run last start, um, where he was beaten by Smoke and Romans, who's also in this race at $21, might I add, his run last start, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Like, mm. I just don't understand, obviously. He comes over from Europe with some great European form and he's only been here for a little while and he might still have a lot yet to prove in terms of his ability and he's going to show that over the weekend. But I just think that he is way under the odds at $4. I'm not sure that I've seen enough from him to warrant necessarily being the winner of this race. So when you consider that, like it's wide open and I would not be surprised to see a lot of these horses run really well on Saturday.
0: So it looks like we're going to be running on a soft Five on Saturday. Luckily, we are at Flemington this weekend because mm-hmm. it drains so well after all of this rain. Yep. How is that going to affect the speed map in this race, Grace?
1: Well, I think it certainly means that a lot of these horses that are coming down from Sydney will be coming because they want to avoid the wet tracks, and Sydney's been hammered this week as well. So we're going to have a full field, which we've got. Um, so in terms of the speed, I think our likely leader is a horse called Knight's Order, horse number one. He's from the Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott stable, and typically those trainers like to send their horses to the front. They have them really fit, they bowl along, and they're awfully hard to catch. So that's what we'll see from Knight's Order. He's the likely leader. Um, we might have another. We might have a few other horses like Smoke and Romans from Barrier Six, potentially even Milford from Barrier Sixteen pressing forward as well. Um, Not too many horses necessarily want to be on speed, but I think that Knight's Order from the Gay, Waterhouse and Adrian Bott Stable will bowl along at a solid enough tempo to ensure an even gallop, like a genuine gallop. And what that means is that most horses will get their chance. It's certainly not as tactical as a race like the Underwood Stakes was with six horses last Sunday. I think every horse will get their chance on Saturday.
0: Gold Trip is the favourite at the moment at $4, but actually the opening favourite was number two, Jewess She opened at $3.80, has drifted out to $4.80 in the first few hours of bidding, and has now tightened up a little bit into $4.60. I was a bit surprised to see that Gold Trip took her place as favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is going on here?
1: Well, I think that this horse has come over from Europe, as I said, with a big boom on him. Everybody's sort of saying, this is the Coxplate Plate horse. This is the one. He's got outstanding European form. He's better than our horses. But we can only do what we've seen, right? And what we saw from him last start, which was at Caulfield in the MRC Foundation Cup over 2,000 metres, he started favourite there. Um, and yes, it was a very wet track, but he was, he finished third. He, didn't, he couldn't get past Smoke and Romans, who's $21 here. And the thing is, I actually almost have an opinion that he likes wet tracks. It's not like some of the other horses, which we'll touch on shortly, that are going to you know, grow another leg now that they're off wet tracks. So I'm a little bit surprised that he's been so well backed as well. Now, Jewess is the second favorite and she is the example of a horse that will really benefit getting onto a good four or a soft five at Flemington on Saturday rather than the really wet tracks that she's been on for her two starts this campaign up in Sydney. Um, Both of those starts were a touch disappointing to be honest like she was nowhere near her best in either so again you have to take it on trust a little bit but she is a three-time Group 1 winner. She certainly deserves her place in this field and she actually won the Group 1 Australian Cup at this track and trip back in March of this year on a good four track off a fast tempo and the race like they ran really slick overall time there that's good enough to be winning this so if she brings anything like that I think she's probably the one to beat here Um, but you sort of have to just ignore the first few runs in Sydney on those soft tracks and trust that she can bring her best to this race.
0: I think she also has been up against some pretty stiff competition yeah, in the first sure. two starts. I'm Thunderstruck, Anna Mo, like she's not got any of those big hitters in this race here. I'm with you, having one over this distance on this track is a huge plus. Mm-hmm. And 2,000 meters also is her most su- successful distance in general. Yep. Other things I liked was the barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, she sort of, sort of sits midfield from the 800 metre mark and comes home. So was really encouraged by that, whereas there's some other horses who I can probably discount because of their barrier. Yep, for so sure. So to me, it's all tick, tick, ticks. Um, I guess it's the sort of average form leading in that's probably putting some people
1: off. And I suppose also, so when we talk about the conditions of this race and how it set weights and penalties, if this was weight for age... Jewis would be carrying less than Gold Trip. But because of the set weights and penalties conditions of this race and that Gold Trip is not a Group 1 winner, and yet Jewis is a three-time Group 1 winner, she carries two and a half more kilos than him, which, um, you know, is a relatively significant... Weight swing, as we would call it, so that's probably in the favour of Gold Trip. But look, I'm I'm more than happy to be thinking Julius is the one to beat here. However, there are some other horses in the race that I would am very interested in in terms of running a really big race. And for that reason, Fee, I'm going to have a first four in this.
0: Oh my goodness, go you!
1: Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Now I've done the form, I've done all of the runners and worked out what I think about it, and then I had a look at the market and I was kicking myself that I hadn't looked at the market sooner because there's a horse by the name of Chapada in this race Yes. and he hasn't won in two years but he can win this on Saturday. Grace. He can win <laughs> I'm telling you and I look at the market and he went up $81 and then by the time I checked like an hour later he was into $27. Right so the
0: market's sort of agreeing with yeah, you. Yeah well the
1: market's saying $81 was too big.
0: I mean, he did run third in this race last
1: year. He ran, yes. And look at the horses that were in the race last year. If you go back and look at the form card, incentivize one. He went past very elegant. Mm. She finished fourth. There's (laughs) none of those here, I can tell you. So, look, I just think, um, you know, if you've got a horse like Gold Trip... Um, who is a four dollar favourite? Chapada was launching at him late last start. They come through the same race, the MRC Foundation Cup.
0: So will he go into your first four? Is that a side bet?
1: No, it's probably a side bet and a first four number that I'm okay, going to put so in. Number
0: nine. Yeah, so I've got
1: Dewis in there, obviously, and number nine, which is Chapada. The other one that I'm putting in is number ten, Allegro.
0: Yeah, I had a leg run down as running a good race this week to Grace. Mm-hmm. Last start, he was a winner over this distance in a group three, and he actually beat Knight's Order on the day, which I thought was pretty good, mm. on a soft seven, which is encouraging as well. So, yeah, I agree with
1: you. What did you like about him? Well, he's a real staying type. Um, so there's a chance now that third up he might be looking for 2,400 metres. Like, he's a real stamina horse. Um, If they were to go slow in this race, I'd not be convinced that he's got sort of the turn of foot or the speed to be sprinting fast and winning this race. But I think that they're going to go at a a good enough gallop. Um, So I think he comes into play. And from barrier two with Damien Oliver in the saddle, he's going to get a great run. He'll have every possible chance in terms of the fact that he'll be able to relax, switch off throughout, just be comfortable hopefully find a gap or two in the straight and he'll be very strong late. So he's at $12. Um, He's run second to Hitotsu in his three-year-old season in two derbies over 2,500 meters. So ultimately his next start will be the Caulfield Cup um, as opposed to Gold Trip, whose next start will be the Cox Plate. So, um, But I still think that he can run really well here and he goes in the first four as well. And the other one who's on a Caulfield Cup path that I can see running really well here is Numerian for Annabelle Nisham. This is a horse that's coming down from Sydney um, off those wet tracks once again. And I just think that there might be a sense of timing about him getting out to 2,000 metres on good ground. We might see him potentially roll forward from barrier 12 or just settle somewhere behind the speed midfield um, and sort of really put his hand up as a Caulfield Cup chance. He's had a tick over jump out in between runs because he's a month between runs and I know that he's bound for the Caulfield Cup as well so he's another one that would not surprise me at all to see him run a huge race so that's four horses in my first four if I probably am going to be safe I'll add another horse in and it'll be the favorite gold trip just so I don't have egg all over my face when he comes out and wins by five lengths because he's clearly the best horse in the race <laughs> so that's the way I'm playing at feet what are you going to do in this race
0: I'm going to have two bets mm-hmm. I'm going to have a win bet on Jewis yeah I think um she's just the most qualified horse in the race uh really like her lots of ticks for me and then I'm going to have a place bet on you oh <gasps> Number seven. So we're sort of with the same horses here. Yep. What stuck out to me about this horse is that he's really had no time off since the autumn. Mm -hmm. So he he's super fit. I think he had a little bit of time off, but he he would have taken so much residual fitness with him. But, you know having not spent too much time in the paddock over the winter other things i like about him is that he's you know a winner over this distance he's pretty versatile on tracks too which i think is good a couple things i'm a little bit concerned about are the barrier mm-hmm. um, and he's only had one run around flemington before so you know, he's not very familiar with the track. So um, they're the two concerns, but I definitely think he can run a good race. So, yeah, worth a place bet at $4.80, I thought.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it is a good point that you raise because these horses that come down from Sydney and New Marion, um spent quite a lot of time up in Queensland over the winter. They're not necessarily used to running the Melbourne way of going. So that can sometimes be um, a slight question mark, but hopefully Numerian has no problems at all. Flemington is a really big, spacious track, so hopefully he's got no problems with that. Um, And I really think he can run a strong race. And then if he does, he'll be right in the mix in the Caulfield Cup. Now that we've discussed
0: who we are betting on and what bets we're placing,
1: there was one other thing I
0: wanted to talk about from this race when I was doing my form. So... There was a piece of gear that I wasn't very familiar with on the form card, on number four Profondo. He has a bubble cheeker on the offside for the first time. What
1: is the purpose of a bubble cheeker, Grace? So a bubble cheeker is like a small rubber disc that you attach to the horse's bit. And what it does um, on either side of the horse's mouth. Um, It just sits neatly against the horse's cheek. And it sort of applies just a little extra pressure, I suppose you would say, to that side of the horse's mouth. And that feels different for the horse. It makes the horse think, oh, something's going on there. And the natural instinct of the horse is to sort of just move away from it a little bit. Um, So the idea is that you put it on the side of the horse when a horse is laying in or out. So when a horse is laying in or out, that means that the jockey under full riding in the straight, the horse has a tendency to sort of move about a bit. They either want to go towards the rail or they want to go towards like the outside of the field um, and towards the outside fence. So in this occasion the reason that they've got the bubble cheeker on profondo on the offside, which is the right hand side of his mouth is that they don't want him to if you think about going around flemington lay out towards the grandstand they want him to not do that so you put the bubble cheeker on the right hand side and hopefully it will stop him from going towards the grandstand and it'll keep him in a straight line because when you've only got you know um the straight to be really finding your top gear and hitting the line you just don't want the horse to be sort of wobbling all over the place you want to be full stride full momentum forward and not either to the rail or to the outside fence so that's the reason that profondo has got that piece of gear the bubble chica on the off side the right hand side
0: thanks so much for clearing that up for us grace we didn't quite get to cover that one in our gear episode and i thought there might be a few people who are wondering what that gear might be used for. Another big episode, Grace. It was really good to sit down with Romy and talk about sports science and track work performance and data analysis and a really exciting group one on the weekend,
1: a wide open field. It's going to be an interesting race. It will be an interesting race. We've been Our episodes recently have been jam-packed with so much information and you know so many great Topics that I think we've decoded in the last few weeks. Next week, however, no special guest because it is Caulfield Guineas Day, which is one of the great days of racing. We've got three Group 1s on the day the Turak the Caulfield Stakes, now known as the Might and Power, and also the Caulfield Guineas itself. So there'll be plenty to get through, full-form preview for next Saturday's racing.
0: For now, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that you make the most of the spring racing. Only a few weeks left. Relish it, enjoy it, get out to the track, and we will catch you next week with another new episode.